Miracy. As business owners, you know, we're supposed to be the subject matter expert, the person leading others as the coach through the process and holding that space for other people. And technology is the most surefire way to make you feel like a beginner. Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped over 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating profitable coaching businesses. In this podcast, my guests and I discuss challenging conversations we have with our clients. But I also want to take a deeper look into difficult business issues and reality checks we might face with ourselves as coaches. In this episode, I'll discuss technology and how it serves your coaching business. But technology is often paradoxical, right? It's meant to make our life and work easier, but sometimes it actually complicates it further by making the devices harder to use and learn. Honestly, many of us feel like fish out of water trying to use a new software or app. This fear of technology is real and can have a very limiting effect on your business, but that's what we're going to change today. I've invited just the right coach for this topic. She's been on the show before. Her clients call her a technology therapist. I love that title. She has her own business, Sensible Woo, but also works at Miracy as part of the education team. I'm going to be talking today with Mary Williams. Mary says that most business owners come to her after struggling with business operations, usually mistaking the problems as technology issues. They might say that they're not technical or that technology is hard. The truth is, it's about systems which aren't necessarily technology, and I couldn't agree more. Mary, welcome back to the show. Hi, Melinda. (laughs) It's good to be back. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here, and I know that we both geek out on technology and more specifically systems, processes, and efficiencies, and so that's what we're going to get into today. But before we do that, would you mind sharing a little bit of your background for the listeners that maybe haven't heard your other episode? Sure. I am actually a librarian by trade. I have my Master of Science in Information from the University of Michigan School of Information, and I specialized in human-computer interaction. I did a lot of early user experience design, so I started my career in corporate. I was the digital archivist at Disney Animation, which, yes, it was very cool. And I helped them design in-house software that we would use for productions and post-production. So I've been around the bits and bytes a very long time. (laughs) And then I formed my business. And as we like to say around Sensible Woo, you are your own first system and your best system. So we really try to start with the person. And usually when we crack the code or the puzzle about ourselves, it becomes amazingly simple to solve the technology problem. Sometimes it's a mindset issue, um, but sometimes it's really just actually a logic issue. Like, what is the most logical next step in the path so we don't overcomplicate things? Okay, say more about that. When we crack the code about ourselves, how did you say it? We kind of resolve the technology issues? Say more. Okay, so um, I always say that you should feel really good about the tech that you're using, which usually is a lot less complicated than you think it needs to be. 
And um, you have to feel good about it. Like just because one of us says, oh, you should really use XYZ product. Sometimes we're not ready for it. So, you know, at its core, most of us in business can function with pretty simple things. I remember launching my original courses with Google Drive, an email account and a calendar and a Zoom and a Zoom account. So I could see people online. It was that simple. And then as things grew, obviously I needed more things. But you know, if we don't yet have peace in our hearts about what we're using, we're just going to put up barriers to all the good stuff that's coming at us that can help us actually automate certain parts of the process, make things less manual, um, that can help us actually make sure we deliver things better for our clients so we don't forget all the important things that help nurture them. But if we're feeling at odds with the technology, that I think is the bigger hurdle. It's not so much the tech. Yeah. And so let's kind of dive in behind that. Like, what's the anxiety? Because you said, you know, have peace in your hearts with the technology that you're using. I'm quite sure that most of our listeners would never use the phrase peace in our hearts and technology in the same sentence. But what's behind the anxiety and the resistance around that? I think at its root, it's that none of us want to feel stupid, which is a really valid feeling. There's a spiritual practitioner that I have followed my whole life, love her. And she likes to say that the thing people fear the most is humiliation. And I think it's really true. As business owners, you know, we're supposed to be the subject matter expert, the person leading others as the coach through the process and holding that space for other people. And technology is the most surefire way to make you feel like a beginner again. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I think people don't want to feel stupid, which is really normal. And I think as an entrepreneur, what we have to do is, first of all, recognize that and then not be afraid to ask questions. You'd be amazed how much the questions like quite literally are not stupid at all. And sometimes the people who are helping you They also need to know what your questions are so that they can make sure that you fully understand what that product provides, um, make sure that you are getting what you have paid for out of that product. Most products nowadays come with some degree of technical support. And if we can't articulate that and communicate it, it's just pure frustration, then the person on the other end has a really, really hard time supporting you and you will actually get less high quality support. And when it comes to, like putting ourselves out there, right? You don't want to feel stupid, that whole humiliation. I remember when I first started my business back in my coaching business, this is before the coaches console. Wow. Way back in 2003, I had never been an entrepreneur, didn't want to be actually. I loved having a job and just showing up and doing my thing and getting my paycheck. But I found myself setting up my own business and I've always geeked out over processes. You need to accomplish X, Step one, two, three, four, five, do those things, you'll get X. It just seemed very simple in how I approached when I had my job, working with my teams, managing all the different aspects in my career that I had. And so when I started my business, it's like, okay, people are going to pay me. The phrase that stood out for me was, I got to make sure I deliver on what I promise because I don't want to let them down. And for me, it was, I'm probably kidding myself because back then I was perfect Porsche. So there was probably a lot of, I need to do it right. It needs to look good. When I look back to what I did, 
it was a very, you, you mentioned it earlier, it was very simple. It's like, what's the least amount that I can do to make sure I've got my crap together so I can feel good about when somebody says, yes, I'd like to work with you. I feel good about taking their money because I can support them. And so for me, that was, I mean, this is 2003. This is before Google, really. So, you know, Word document, Excel spreadsheet, Outlook email, Outlook calendar. It was those very simple resources that I used to manage everything. So when you say talk about simple, like talk more about that. What does simple look like for somebody in their business? If somebody needed something in the next minute and you are fully capable of, say, emailing them that file and it's appropriate to email them, why not email them? If you can simply, you know, create a calendar event and invite someone to the calendar event, why not invite them on the calendar? At some point, you do want to level up your tech so that you can expand your coaching practice. So then you might add in like a calendar booking program. Or maybe instead of emailing your files, you start using a cloud you know, service provider where you can store your files. But at the beginning, it's so easy to add in all these extra steps in the name of I'm looking professional. <laughs> and professional really just starts with you. I've seen many people still right now who have high ticket offers, big coaching practices, and they're selling things off of Google Docs. You know, they're sending simple invoices from their bookkeeping system with their accountant, for example, or they're sending PayPal invoices even in some instances. Um, you know, there are business decisions that have to be made at a certain point, but for the average coach who's starting and still growing in that growing phase, the more tech you add in, the more layers of tech, the more things that can possibly break. It's like adding gears to a machine. And if you're already feeling nervous about your tech and you're already feeling frustrated by it and you feel slow with it, to add in more layers means it's going to continue to slow you down and add more complications. It's going to add to all those fraudy feelings. And if you can strip away some of those layers and just keep it simple until you master certain foundational basics to generate your cash flow, for instance, because that's really important, I think those things will get you farther, faster. And the people I work with, we actually spend more time stripping away tech than adding it, which is really fascinating to watch them go through that process. They'll save hundreds of dollars a year because they realize that they're overpaying on some extra lead page program on top of an online classroom, on top of an email service provider. And all those things have redundant systems in them. Which one do you choose? There is a thing. We, we talk about it in library science all the time. Too much choice leads to no choices. Mm -hmm. It's called the paradox of choice. And the world gives us plenty of that on our own, but we give it to ourselves too inside of our businesses because we'll see that great software deal during that Black Friday sale. And then you're wondering, how come I'm not using anything at all? And it's probably because you're paralyzed by the own choice that you gave yourself. The way I say it is a confused mind never moves forward. It's like you just, you stop in your tracks and you're like, I can't do anything. And you become paralyzed. And then do you see this? What I see is because there's a lot of overcomplication with the technology or they're using the wrong kinds of technology for the phase of their business that they might be in, they 
they will begin to think, oh, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this. And then if they keep thinking that too long, what we notice is they start doubting themselves and their calling. It's like, maybe this isn't my calling. Maybe this isn't the work I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm like, time out. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't think that thought. Let's just simplify how you're doing things so that you can feel confident where you are right now. Do you see that a lot? Oh, I see it all the time, (laughs) all the time. I've had those moments in my own coaching room with clients and it's amazing how much we will find anything as an excuse to say, oh, well, this can't work. I can't be a coach because like what I'm really scared of in the moment actually is talking about pricing and money with people who might buy my thing. And you're like, well, let me just try to overcomplicate this entire pipeline and build a funnel. And oh, the funnel failed. Technology is horrible. I'm not cut out for this. I can't do it. And I see that type of mental loop-de-loop happen a lot. You know, there's certain tech tools that are definitely a requirement. And those are the ones worth spending the time and energy on. Making it easy to get paid is like the number one thing. Most people already have a communication tool like email. And it doesn't have to be a fancy email to start. But like making it easy to get paid is so stinking important. I've seen people lose sales because whatever shopping cart system they're using, like it doesn't work. Or the people are like, I can't find it. (laughs) Or it just makes it really difficult for them to complete that payment. And mastering that first before figuring out, you know, your fancy email marketing system and even your online scheduling program, um, being able to make sure that money is coming into your business bank account. That is so incredibly critical. And it's sadly something that sometimes gets pushed out to the last minute. Like people wait until they're about to get paid. Yeah. And then it's a, oh crap, now what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. And I know you and me, Melinda, we're both like into energy work. And I really believe, and I think you'll agree with me that if you get that system set up first, it's like you're giving a green light to the universe saying, I am ready, Mm -hmm. ready to be paid. And when you push it off until you find your people, it's sort of like saying, well, I'm not really sure yet. What are some of the other technology that you might need in your business to set up? I am a really big stickler on professional communication. So after making it easy to get paid, there are sort of a few different puzzle pieces you could choose from to put together. One of the biggest ones is at some point you have to commit. (laughs) You have to go in. And instead of using, say, a free Gmail account, I'm a really big stickler for my clients up-leveling into a paid Google Workspace account, or it could be Microsoft Exchange. Um, You know, there are all kinds of systems, but that requires you to register a domain name and have it be, you know, Mary at myawesomebusiness.com. And the reason why that's important is illustrated in the story I have from early on in my solopreneur coaching practice. I was working with this young coach and her practice was growing so fast. It was really exciting. And she was, you know, I'm the awesome trainer at gmail.com. And she was growing so fast. She wasn't paying attention to her storage limits. And one day she went to hop on a call and she went to her computer and she logged in and Google had a big old sign in front of her that said, you have no access to any of your data until you pay us because you have exceeded all your limits. And that was a very nerve wracking point. And it was such a great illustration of when you are truly committed to doing your business and you use professional systems that you pay for, this is one worth paying for. 
And I think it's one of those things that can really help you in your business. It gives you just a level of professionalism that does make a difference. And then, of course, there is the data protection that as a librarian, I feel is very important having your data in a safe space um, that you are paying for and therefore you have some degree of ownership over and it's not in a free space. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, um, having an easy way to book with you just to take busy work off your plate. A lot of my folks use Calendly or Acuity Scheduling. Those tend to be the top two. And having a calendar, sometimes it can enable you to have people book and pay for appointments with you, but it can also help you automate busy work. You can spend a lot of time just keeping your calendar clean. And sometimes we think, oh, I need to hire a VA and I need a whole lot of extra help. And it turns out, "Mm, no, we just actually need to add in some easy systems that will help you manage that process a little bit better. And then that way you're not adding in another layer of complication by having someone come into your business when you're not ready for it yet. So those are like the big ones in my book for most people. And you'll notice that it's not online classrooms. It's not some funnel program. It's not even an email marketing system. Although if you're going to start sending messages to an audience, then you do also need to add in that. But at the beginning, making it easy to get paid, making it easy to keep track of your communications in a professional manner, and making sure that your IP, your intellectual property is stored in a secure location. Those things are really, really critical. You know, when I'm working with a brand new coach that's getting started, use your Google Calendar if that's what you have. If you need to do email back and forth, keep it minimal. Get Be as flexible as possible. But very quickly, make sure that you're not complicating your prospects and clients' lives because you don't have your crap together behind the scenes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and so, so it's, we have to not only think about our experience as entrepreneurs, we have to think about what are we putting our people through? Because the experience, the way they interact with us is building or breaking down trust. One of those two things is happening. And the more they trust us, the better the relationship, the better the coaching. The more resistance they have, the more friction they feel. It kind of puts dings or chinks in that trust. And it may not be as great of experience. So all these little things, whether it's how do I pay you or how do we communicate or scheduling, how do we interact together, really be mindful of the experience you're creating. And if you're not aware of this, make sure you're aware of this because you may not even realize how you're frustrating your people. Uh, And it's important to pay attention to that, especially as you start to like get out of the immediate foundation stage and move into that early growth stage. It's important to pay attention to that. I so agree with that. I love working with the people who are hitting that growth stage. And we will do what we call workflows. It comes from my software design days. And my (laughs) original clients for it, they dubbed it the workflow party. So we get together and we have a little party. And we workflow these processes to make sure that we are being as efficient as possible from point A to point B, you know, making accounts for the customer experience, making sure that we eliminate our assumptions about things. And, you know, it's amazing when they do the work because they can clearly see what technology is needed to support all of those parts of the process and what things they can cut out. And sometimes if they're looking for a tool to help them fill a gap somehow, then that also becomes easier. 
but that is a that's more advanced work. That's not something you do when you're still achieving offer market fit. And I think you and I talked about offer market fit on the last episode we did together. Well, tell our listeners uh, what you mean by that in case they haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. So it's a term we use frequently around here at Miracy. It's an industry standard term, but basically it means that you have validated your offer. You have sold it. The way I was coached through it when I was a student at Miracy was um, to think of it in terms of, I have sold this at least three times. I like to take it a step further and say, I have sold it at least three times at full price, not pilot price. One sale is amazing. Woohoo, let's celebrate. Two is also great. Let's celebrate. But two is not enough for a pattern. When you get three, you're starting to see some validation and then you can keep going from there. But if you're like continually discounting your prices and you're not actually going for the full price, we need to work on getting to the full price because then you'll know what kind of volume you're dealing with. And when you're dealing with fewer people or more people, there are different systems and technologies that you will need to help support the volume of that audience. And until you reach that offer market fit, it is really hard to make those decisions. You're just kind of guessing. And um, I feel like this is when people (laughs) fall into that dangerous trap of the Black Friday software sales. (laughs) I'm like, don't do it. Don't buy it. I once had a client, my best story ever. I once had a client and she bought two lifetime subscriptions to the same email marketing program. And we did an inventory of all of their um, technologies they were using. And our whole group, the whole mastermind group was like, how do you buy two of the same thing? And she's like, I don't even know. They don't even know, but they refunded the other one. And when you're just sort of desperately grabbing at things to try to make something happen, that's when you know you're in a dangerous spot. That's when we need to stop, drop, and roll, and we need to go back to basics and make sure that we've achieved offer market fit. Now, I've heard you say another word where you talk about you're a stickler. Can you share with our audience and our listeners, like, what does that mean? So being a stickler means being like laser focused and really picky about something. It's something that I don't compromise on. So when I'm a stickler about professional communications, like having a domain-based email address, I'm a stickler about it because that is a non-negotiable requirement to me when it comes to a good, healthy business foundation, when it comes to your systems. Why am I a stickler about something like that? Well, because there are dependencies upon it. So you know, I frequently hear from people, they want to do some kind of email newsletter marketing, for example very valid, also very useful. And in order to do that, you need to have that email system set up and it needs to be set up properly and correctly. So if you don't have that, now we are scrambling around and you know we start slapping things together and it feels like the business is built with scotch tape and toothpicks and that's not a good feeling. And it also doesn't function well because you know then you can't scale. So the stickler things are always those base foundation things. I always like to relate things in my audience to Maslow's hierarchy of needs because like from Psych 101, you know, it looks like a pyramid and on the bottom layer in your life, you need to feel like you're not being chased by a tiger, like you're not going to be eaten so you're safe. You've got a roof over your head, you've got food in your belly, like all your basic physical needs are taken care of so that you can then function at higher levels from there. And your business is very much the same. It has that bottom layer um, on its own Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And there are certain things that your business needs, like a payment system, that would, that would be one of those bottom layer needs. Um, communications is another one of those bottom layer needs. And from there, you can grow and do fancier things. But if you don't take care of those needs, 
then everything else is just going to be stunted forever. And eventually it's going to catch up with you and you are going to have to go back and fix it. But if you somehow manage to grow, you know, faster somehow, fixing those base needs becomes a much more expensive um, and costly thing. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, when you, when you have your systems that are kind of out of whack and you maybe have a unicorn situation where somehow you go viral and things take off, that's super exciting. Um, but if these base needs aren't taken care of, you do have to go back and fix them. Otherwise, certain things actually won't function further down the pipeline. And, and then that becomes a problem. You know, another thing that happens often down the road is automating. Some stuff can happen earlier. Some stuff happens later. And, and as you evolve, automation evolves. Let's talk about automation. Like when do you start automating parts of your business? It's best to automate, I feel, after achieving offer market fit, first and foremost. Offer market fit requires a certain degree of high touchness from you, which high touch basically means like you are directly communicating with people. They're hearing from you. It's not an automated sequence of messages. Like they have direct contact with you. So you pilot you raise your rates, you start doing things at full price. And I feel like at that point, automation makes a lot of sense. And that's when you can really utilize technology in the way that it was designed to be utilized and use all those functions so that instead of having to explain individually to each person, you know, maybe the system does it for you with whatever it is that you're using. Yeah. After you've made that offer, after you've been doing it, you've worked with a handful of people you know the redundant tasks. Like that's one of the indicators. It's like when I work with a new coach, it's like, tell me everything that you're doing over and over and over with every prospect you talk to, every client you interact with. And we make a list of those redundancies. And, and that is the indicator. It's like, okay, where is this happening? And a lot of times it's with communication, scheduling. Those are two of the biggest areas. Another place that I see is when folks will hit a plateau if they've hit a certain level of income and they start saying things like, gosh, you know, no matter what I do, I can't seem to break past this level of income or this number of clients. And usually that's an indicator, not of marketing or selling issues, but it's usually a back office implementation system issue. It's like, let's look at what are you doing? What's manual? And where can we streamline or simplify maybe even just the written process or automate technology? I always like to say automate where it's smart, where it makes sense. Now let's summarize what we've talked about. So we talked about how really one of the things that we need to do to resolve our technology issues is to first crack the code about ourselves. Because a lot of times there's some things going on behind the scenes, below the surface, that are gonna create the anxiety around technology because we don't wanna feel stupid or be humiliated or the pressure of being seen as an expert. So make sure you're resolving that to resolve your tech issues. Keep it simple when possible. Don't add in extra layers just to be professional and look for redundancies. I love, Mary, what you did with the Maslow's hierarchy where you've got, here's the required things. Make it easy to get paid, make it easy to communicate, make it easy to book with you and look at those things first, being a stickler for that with those non-negotiables. And then you gave us this beautiful benchmark. Once you have the offer market fit, that's when you can start looking at your workflow party and your automation and how do you 
begin to up-level the technology in your business. So we have talked about so much today. Mary, any parting words that you want to share with our listeners? You know, I think it really comes down to like a little pep talk, like believe in yourself. Like I can do it. (laughs) I always think of that scene from Miss Congeniality. I love movies. And Michael Caine is behind the scenes and she makes it to the finals and she's like, it's the crown. And she's trying to say it's the bomb, but he's like, no, be the crown. Wear the crown. You are the crown. And I feel like that is how I feel about technology with a lot of entrepreneurs and developing genuinely an affection for the tools that support you. We live in a digital age now. So, you know, when you believe you can do it, you can. I've seen people change their framework overnight and suddenly everything seems bright and sunny the next day and they get unstuck and they move forward. And it's really beautiful when it happens. Beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Mary for this amazing conversation about the anxiety, about technology, and how to think about it. You can actually find out more about her at sensiblewoo.com. That's sensible, S-E-N-S-I-B-L-E, woo, W-O-O.com. Mary, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks for having me back. I love talking about all these things with you. We geek out every time and it just gets better and better. (laughs) It's so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Mishi Lance assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To get future great episodes that are coming up on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. 
many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.